Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, a seminary student and intern at Christ Church Conway in Conway, Arkansas. We're excited to be with you today. It's been, uh, Gage, it's been a couple of weeks since we've posted another episode because uh, life and the coronavirus, and uh, it's been a crazy uh, time, but uh, we're excited to be uh, gathered together. Uh, This is is the first time that we've been in the same room with each other while we're recording, which is funny because now we're living in a time where we're not supposed to be in the same room with anybody. Social distancing, Uh, but there's there's less than 10 people in the room, so I think we're fine. Okay, good. But we are excited today because we have uh, two guests. One, uh, the most important one first, is my beautiful wife, Leanne, who is a homeschool mom and ukulele player and uh, just wonderful uh, uh, musician. And uh, also we have Michael Kidd, who's an intern at Christchurch Conway with you, Gage. Yeah, he's beautiful too. Well, I, uh, no comment. We are, uh, we've been, we've been taking each, uh, we've been talking about theology in the Bible so far, and we've been taking each week and focusing on an item in a Sunday morning liturgy. We've talked about a corporate confession of sin. We've talked about the Lord's Supper. We've talked about the assurance of pardon. Uh, we've talked about baptism. We're going to come back and talk some more about baptism because we got a lot of great feedback on that and some people that asked for some further feedback. But today we're talking about something that every church does. Uh, in some form or fashion, but there's a great deal of variance as to how they do it. And that thing that we're talking about is we are talking about music. Um, in, in, in the world of music, there's, there, there's a phrase that came about in the eighties called the worship wars. And those worship wars were when we moved from, uh, traditional music to contemporary music. But what, what we're finding is that there are way more wars than that. There are way sure. more uh, categories that people fall into. So it goes deeper than just Jesus is just all right with me. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. It took me a second to catch that Doobie Brothers reference. But um, uh, in, uh, in the Reformed world, um, well, let's back up a little bit and talk more again about the regulative principle and the normative principle. We've talked about that before. Gage, do you want to you talk about the regulative and normative principle? Yeah, so uh, Scott, you use an analogy that I think is super helpful. Um, it's the the red light, green light uh, analogy, and you can kind of make sure I don't botch this. Um, but the, the idea with the regulative principle is basically um, you have a red light unless the scripture gives you a green light on something, whether it comes to instruments or it comes to the type of music you have or whether or not you can do interpretive dance or 
um, even specials, things like that. Um, the regular principle basically says that we only want to do things in the worship service, particularly when it comes to music, even uh, that the scripture uh, prescribes. Um, and the normative principle kind of does the opposite, right? It gives you a green light to do whatever um, you feel is uh, an act of worship unless the Scripture says don't. Yeah, everything's a green light unless Scripture says not to. So right. uh, carried to its its extreme uh, uh, extent would be maybe somebody has a uh, a fog machine and a water slide into the baptistry. Right. And they might say, well, the Bible doesn't say you can't do that. (laughs) The Bible says, I mean, David obviously danced naked before the Lord, so that seems like a good idea, right? Yeah, well, uh, again, no comment. (laughs) For sure, for sure. And so that, you know, that kind of sets the the stage, really, those those two categories and then those two camps um, seem to kind of um, describe or um, set the parameters for this conversation. Um, even going back to um, and, and getting to, into other things like, should you only sing the psalms? Should should you only have hymn music? Should you have instruments? You know, we have certain denominations and, and brothers and sisters in the faith that think that having a, a guitar is sinful. I can remember um, being a youth pastor in college, and we were doing uh, like a Christmas special with the kids, and in the little book where it would tell you, okay. Uh, piano is here and guitar is here and the kids are going to sing here. Um, there was um, a congregant at the church and uh, they did not think that guitar was okay at all. So you could see like not only had they struck out and wrote a piano over everywhere where there was a guitar, but they had like angrily <laughs> struck through, you know, large strikes um, against the guitar. And, and a lot of that kind of those conversations, whether it's uh, can you do, Worship music, can you do what you songs that you hear on the radio? Can you do secular songs? All of those things kind of lie down really into these camps, right? What, is, what does scripture allow you to do? What does scripture give you the freedom to do? What is actually um, worship before the Lord? Um, as Presbyterians, we tend to um, lean in the regulative principle camp, right? Um, guys like Calvin and Luther and the Reformers, and, and even now, as it's defined you know, in the Confession and other areas, we tend to say, uh, it's better to err on the side of caution and let's Let's only do the things that the scripture talks about. Now, even in, in our camp, even in the PCA, what that means is open in, to interpretation a little bit. You know, Michael, we talked about this uh, off air that um, there you may find 10 different opinions about how exactly you practice the regulative principle. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it comes down to understanding that worship uh, it God has a specific way that he has uh, called us to worship him, um, and then how we interpret that um, matters. Yeah, uh, my wife uh, did not grow up in a Reformed tradition. She grew up in a, uh, in a um, dispensational uh, framework, and so the idea of singing psalms or not singing psalms, uh, those were foreign to you. Talk a little bit, Leanne, about, about how you have— what it has meant for you to to come to the reformed faith uh and and hear some of these kind of later in life yeah so i grew up in um a church that actually didn't do music at all it was thought of as emotionalism it was thought of as silliness 
and just kind of caught up in this, you know, not it's not it's not scriptural. The only reason to go to church is to um, study scripture, and it was like more like a class, you know, not worshipful at all. And so it was very new to me to even come to this idea of you know structuring worship and and the lord um you know commanding us to worship and inviting us to worship and one of the things that i have found so refreshing in the reformed world is um that in in worship it's it's not something that we offer to god but it's something that he does for us um you know that he's bringing us heavenward and he's filling us up. And so even though we it it feels like, you know, we're making this offering, it's really his provision for us and his means for growing us spiritually, bringing us closer together with our brothers and sisters in the in the local church. Um and uh and music is just it's a big big part of that. And um one of the things that I've kind of had to untangle, um, you know, even coming from this background where we didn't sing at all, is, yeah, what kind of music is it okay? What kind of music does God prescribe? And, or can it just be whatever my preference is? You know, whatever kind of music I prefer, that's okay to be offering to God. Because if worship is something that He gives to us and He prescribes the means for us to do that, you know, is this Christian freedom or are we really like inserting our own will over what God has prescribed for us? For sure. And and I would even say um, to that, a lot of times there's been arguments, especially um, I've had this conversation with friends of mine in the uh, multi-ethnic church world, right? Mm-hmm. Where they'll say, uh, you guys... Um, We'll call things the regulative principle, but really what you're doing is you're, you're elevating preference to this is the way white people would do it, right? Um, and, and then you get into the, the hornet's nest that is that conversation. Cause then you feel like, um, well, no, I'm just trying to do what I think the Lord would be pleased with and I'm doing the best I can to, um, you know, make a, a wonderful noise to the Lord and, and do what, what we think, um, he's asking for us to do. Um, I didn't know that that necessarily means that I'm operating from a place of race, right? And so it get, gets into a really hairy conversation that I think could be its own episode. But really, even backing up, before you get into the regulative versus normative principle conversation, I think you got to ask the question. I think it's worth us even all jumping in here. Uh, what's the goal of music in the worship service? I'll jump in there and say that the goal of music in the worship service um, – uh, has to be to quote uh, Ephesians four nineteen, uh, uh, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Uh, and so there we see um one that if you know in a, in a consumer driven culture that there is a consumer in worship, and this is by no means to disagree with what Leanne said. That was really beautifully put. But if anybody is being uh, addressed in this, it is the Lord. That that if the, there is a consumer, it's not us. Uh, it's God. Uh, and so first of all, it has to be, it has to be Godward. Um, um, and, and then I would even say this, it, you know, it says singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. And I think we have to, 
address there, well, how do we do that? What does it mean uh, to sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart? And so immediately right there, we have to get into a conversation about sin uh, and what is at the, the core and the depths of our heart. Um, how is that addressed? How can how can sinful people with sinful hearts sing and make melody to the Lord in an honoring way? Um, and so we have to really start at the core of who we are and who God is and the fact that it is God that we are uh singing these songs to, that we're giving this worship to, um, that, that we're giving all of this to in our in our worship service. So then, is it a specific genre? Is it only one type of music? So that that quickly jettisons us into a conversation that, that kind of almost goes to the other end, which is fine, uh, but although you can't say that any particular genre is necessarily sinful, or wrong, right? I mean, that, that gets into kind of the red light, green light conversation where scripture doesn't say this genre is wrong. It might give us types of music, but that doesn't necessarily mean genre particularly. I think you get into a practical question there of what's congregational. Um, kind of, kind of going back to the Ephesians 4 conversation, what Paul says is to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So if we're to address one another there, if it's a corporate activity, then you have to ask yourself, well, is Christian hip-hop really a corporate type of genre? I'm a metalhead at heart. Is Christian metal really a corporate uh, driven genre? And the answer is pretty quickly no, unless everybody in the congregation knows how to how to harmonize a scream. So Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. So if we're then saying that uh, God has a specific specific way that he wants to be worshipped, right? And um, we need to um, lean on the side of uh, looking to scripture for our, our guide on how worship should take place, and particularly in the area of music. Does that mean that then it needs to only be Psalms? Because the Psalms are what are in, in the scripture? Or uh, is there room for Psalms plus, right? Because that's, that's a, a, another kind of category in this conversation. When you land regulative versus normative, then you also land into Psalms only versus Psalms, what I'm going to call Psalms plus, right? Or, or Psalms inclusive. What do you guys think? One of the, one of the, the I completely agree that, and, and this is one of the things we're doing as a church is we're working to include more Psalms, which unfortunately is something we've not done well in the past. And we're, we're trying to rectify that as we think through, uh, and introduce our congregation to Psalms that we can sing. Um, but when it comes to exclusive psalmody, um, and I'm I'm really sympathetic to that argument for exclusive psalmody. Like I've I've, I've read some some writers. Rosaria Butterfield is uh, uh, in the in the RPCNA uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church North America. Uh, sorry to use such inside baseball jargon. Uh, she makes a really strong case for exclusive psalmody. What what I uh, what I'm one of the arguments against exclusive psalmody is that is that the hymns that speak to the finished work of Christ, that speak about the work on Calvary in very explicit terms, the congregation in exclusive psalmody is not getting that. They're not getting that. They're getting, in one sense, they're getting all shadow and no type. Uh, 
They're, they're, they're getting Christ. And, and, and please don't, please don't hear me saying that Psalms, Psalms bad, uh, uh, hymns written for, you know, the New Testament era and beyond are good. That's not what I'm saying. This is why I'm for inclusive psalmody. Yes, sing Psalms because it's God's words. We're singing God's words back to him. But we also want to, uh, the church should be writing and singing theologically rich songs. Leanne, can you talk a little bit about theological richness? Oh, I'll do my best. (laughs) But um, yeah, so theologically rich songs, lyrics that are absolutely rooted in scripture. And um, are you wanting me to kind of share my story? So um, I have come to believe that the songs that we sing are vitally important to our our spiritual lives and the health of our church. And kind of what sealed the deal for me was when our our fifth child uh, was born and I had a co- medical complication and hemorrhaged and uh, very quickly began to bleed out. And, you know, you could feel myself sinking away and thought, I am about to see Jesus. I'm about to see God. Um, it, it, it was terrifying, <laughs> absolutely terrifying, because God is so holy, and I am so sinful. And I thought, what if Jesus isn't enough? Like, I am sunk. And what came to mind um, actually wasn't a scripture. It was a hymn, you know, on Christ's Christ, the solid rock I stand. And um, the verse, in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. And then I just began to repeat to myself over and over, my anchor will hold, my anchor will hold. Um, and I'm just so grateful that I had you know, those words to uh, point me back to Christ. Um, you know, we talked a little bit before about how um, music is stored in a different part of the brain. And so sometimes in, in times of like trauma and fight or flight, it's easier to recall. And um, I, I just think that the words that we sing are, are so important. That was such a comfort to me in that moment. And um, I, I'm glad that there are hymns. Um, many of them are old. Some of them are new. Uh, that point us specifically to the hope that we have in Jesus, uh, because the lyrics are based so completely on the scripture. And so they are theologically, theologically rich. And all the times that I've been singing these hymns and didn't even realize it was, you know, it was shaping me um, and and shaping my heart and, and pointing me back to Christ and really great hymns can do. And, and I think that makes a, a great point. You know, you talked about how there's a different part of the brain um, that recalls music quicker than anything else, right? I have a, a six-week-old at home, and the thing that calms her down most of the time besides just being held or rocked is music, right? Mm-hmm. It's not me reciting um, the 23rd Psalm or me reciting um Romans nine to her, right? She, it, I may be able to do it. That's what calms me down. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And all Calvinists said, "Amen." But um, you know, there's a reason that that's the thing that calms babies, right? There's a reason that the thing you do at night as parents, as like kind of your nightly ritual, 
oftentimes will be you sing them a song together before you put them to bed is uh, we're wired for that, right? Well, I, we, um, Michael and I have the privilege of, uh, as interns, teaching the youth at Christchurch Conway. And we noticed uh, earlier in the semester that the kids um, kind of eye-rolled when it came time to sing or they just didn't participate at all when it was that portion of um, our, our time together as a youth group. And I had to take a moment and go, hey, guys, you understand that this is – equally just as important um, as the sermon, as the conversation, as the Bible study, as the reading, as praying, like music, you're wired this way. That's the reason that when you hear a song, it affects you emotionally, right? It moves you. It speaks to you. Even on a secular level, you'll hear fans often tell their favorite artist, you know, your your song got me through this hard time, right? That that at the end of the day, there is something in creation in the way that, that God has made us that music is an integral part of who we are as human beings. And so why not then make sure it's an important part of the worship service? I think um, at its core, this conversation about what we do and how we sing and what, what we do with music in the worship service um, is equally a, a, as much as a theological issue as what we preach from the pulpit, right? Because there should be just as much theology in the song that you sing, regardless of whether it's a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song, as um, the theology you're getting from prayers or, or from the scripture reading or from the confession or from the corporate um, reading and prayer for corporate confession of sin or even from the pulpit, that, that there should be just as much theology there. And you're probably not going to get that from um, a, a Hillsong song where you're not sure if it's talking about your boyfriend or talking about God. Or if you say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, that doesn't necessarily teach you anything about the Holy One who created everything. Yeah. So just kind of in that life or death situation, uh, the songs that came to mind were not about how faithful I was. You As a matter know? of fact, your very concern was how unfaithful you had been. That yes. was the very concern. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, you're standing there and in what you think are kind of your final moments, your sin is there convicting you, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you, you have to be reminded that no, you are you are safely hidden in Christ, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Yeah one of the one of the things that we've been talking about, Gage, uh, on this podcast is we've been trying to prepare people for what they're going to experience if they if they decide to darken the doors of a Presbyterian church because it, it uh, through all of these. Which they should, uh, of course. Uh, but each episode, we've been taking apart uh, various things and saying, this is similar to what our Baptist brothers believe, but here's why we do it a little differently. And this is similar to what our, our Lutheran friends believe, but here's why we do it a little differently, and so on and so forth. And and so a few so far in listening to the, the three of you talk, <clears throat> I've thought of a few things that probably would strike someone as unique if they come to a reformed or Presbyterian context for the first time. One of them would be, uh, and I can't paint with a broad brush because some churches in the Presbyterian world are going to do this. One of them would be uh, lowering the lights during music so that everybody feels like they're having their own sort of personal, uh, a one-on-one time. I call it cocooning the people 
in uh, lowering the lights so that everybody can have their own personal experience. So you'll hear the you'll hear in some mega church or contemporary church contexts the worship leader saying, "This is just between you and Jesus right now." And the truth is, that's exactly the truth when I'm in my car and I'm singing. But I don't come to church for for an experience that's just between me and Jesus. Church is corporate. Church is the people of God gathered together. And I need to, God wants me to see and be encouraged by the little kid who's struggling to sing these words and pronounce them and doesn't even know what all these words mean. And the old person who is, who is singing these heartily, even though their voice is almost gone, I'm encouraged by that. And I, and, and so there's, there's a real loss of congregational um, song in, in today's worship thing. The second thing that I think that um, you're going to see that's going to be noteworthy is uh, as Leanne made the point, Songs about God and his faithfulness to us. My One of my biggest frustrations with contemporary worship music is they are often songs whereby we are singing to God and telling him how sold out we are. I'm never going to let you go. I'm your guy, God. I'm, you can always count on me. I'll always be faithful. I'm entirely sold out. I, I can't sing those songs without having my fingers crossed behind my back because I'm a sinner. And, and sometimes even in, in those songs, there are uh, subtle differences. There are, are, are things that can be sung over, such as you are enough, right? Well, we would all at this table agree that's a, a accurate theological statement. We don't have a problem uh, with that. But even in that, the context is that I've come to realize you are enough. Not so much that you are enough, but I've come to realize that. So it's still about what I've done, what I've realized, what my experience has been. And when you when you couple that with a, a lights dimmed kind of thing, we get right back to a consumeristic mentality where God is not the consumer, we are. Uh, and, and yeah, well, I mean, and that even gets into honestly situations like we're in right now, where as a people, as a nation, as a world, uh, we're dealing with with suffering, right? It, it, now we may not be in pain sitting at the house having to be forced to binge watch Netflix or, or hang out with our kids. But at the same time, we are in a situation where there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of worry. There's a, there's people losing their jobs. There's uh, a lot of stress. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of um, people that are scared. Right. And, it, and, and at the end of the day, if the thing you're thinking about or having to sing about or muster up is how faithful I'm going to be or how much I'm going to have to have it together, then when the, the mess hits the fan, so to speak, and you don't feel like you have enough in you to muster, then what? But if you've been every single week, whether, you know, now in person or virtually, um, being called back to this idea as a group that you need one another, that God has created you for community and that he's done so, so that you may worship him, right? A, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to preach in Jonesboro and we were in Exodus uh, nine with the, the plagues time and time again, the thing that God kind of pushes on Pharaoh is let my people go that they may worship me. That that's what God has done is he's called a people to himself to redeem them so that we can worship him. So that when you get to that point of worshiping him, if you're singing songs like on Christ, the solid rock, I stand or my anchor holds within the veil or, um, 
all I have is Christ, you're reminded that the, though the the sky be full of plague and virus and, and though the market falls apart and though you lose your job and though the, your your bank account is slowly running out because you don't you're having to spend extra money on things that you didn't think you're going to have to or um, the plans you had for the summer are falling apart because you may not be able to work or whatever the case may be you're called back to God's faithfulness, his consistency, his steadfastness, his anchoring, even in the midst that everything else falls apart. This is why Psalms matter because it, it, it grounds you emotionally. This is why singing rich Christ centered songs matter because it reminds you of who Jesus is, even in light of your failures. Um, and, and that's why ultimately, even in times of suffering, the music you sing matters. Well, I I think we need to take, you know, regardless of how you feel about including the Psalms in your worship service, we need to take a clue from them that so many of them are about lament and suffering. And, you know, so much about worship is now um, in modern worship structured to give you this experience where you leave feeling really moved and hyped up and excited and that's really hard to bear when you've just buried a child or your father or you're dealing with chronic illness and you're in pain all the time. And we have a God who knows our frame. We have a God who knows that we suffer and who suffered for us and suffers with us. And he gives us in the Psalms expressions for suffering and that that is okay. The church is a safe place to come and lament. And I think that's something that is just sorely missing in modern worship today. Well, and even coming at the same thing from a different angle, uh, as somebody who personally has not experienced a lot of suffering in my life, especially compared to, to others, you know, such as your story, I've never experienced anything near that. Um, just as we need a safe place to come and suffer, sometimes we also need a place to be come and knocked off our high horse. And we need to, and those songs of lament, what's beautiful about them is whereas they can uplift the person that's in the middle of suffering, they can also sometimes show the person who's in their pride and in their arrogance, you know, one, where they very well could be, where they possibly even deserve to be. And then two, not to show too many cards here, maybe this is another podcast for you guys to do some other time, but to remember that we have a great high priest who's able to empathize with us in all of our suffering, and he's the one who suffered ultimately. And in spite of all of our suffering and suffered on our behalf so that our suffering isn't worthless. Um, and so that despite our pride and our arrogance, we are still um, brought into right standing with God by his blood and by his blood alone. And so those, those songs of lament, those Psalms of lament kind of serve both parties. They serve the downtrodden and the burdened and they serve the arrogant. They serve them both in the same way by pointing them back to Jesus. Absolutely. And, you know, the, just to kind of speak to you, we have a, a great high priest who's not unable to sympathize. The Psalms of Lament are his words. They are his words, and and we are praying his words, you know, that he has given us. He He's the author of them. Well, hey, uh, guys, um, <clears throat> a couple of closing thoughts as we, as we wrap up our time together. Um, one of them is we we've spoken a lot about the the beauty uh, of singing of singing psalms because they are God's words and we've spoken a lot about the beauty of singing hymns and I remember growing up as a teenager in a traditional church that was liturgical singing hymns 
And the teenagers in the church, we thought, oh, I don't want to sing these hymns. These are these are the songs of the elderly people in our congregation. This is this is the music of their generation. Where's the guitars? Where's the drums? Where's right. the piano or the, the keyboardist? The problem with that is Amazing Grace was written in 1772. So unless you're going to a church with people who are 240 plus years old, this is not the music of their generation either, right? They may have grown up with Chuck Berry or with Sinatra or something like that. But John Newton's music is the music of the late 1700s. So this is the beauty of the hymns is that it is in some sense foreign to all of us. And so we all are claiming it. We all are taking it and we all are saying, this is our rallying cry. And so I want to, I hope that uh, Gage and Michael and Leanne, I hope that what we've said today will encourage people to not turn a, 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 um, a look askance at churches that sing hymns because there's beauty to it, because there's his, his uh, historicness with it. Uh, I once heard Rod Rosenblatt say, uh, talking about churches where the, they, they divide all the families up once they get there. The, <clears throat> the kids go to kids' church, and the, the teenagers go to teenager church, and the adults go to a, to a big church. And he said, and the teenagers go to teenager church where their theology is marketed to them the way their zit medicine is. <laughs> Right in a in a in a in a in a in a culturally relevant age appropriate manner, um, which is a, again a very modern idea. It's only in Burger King, and you can have it your way. And anything that doesn't that is not precisely drilled in on my particular genre, my particular affinity group, my particular de- demographic, if it doesn't if it doesn't scratch every single itch I have with it with my tastes, with my age, with my race with my ethnicity, with my socioeconomic background, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so what the people of God need to be uh, rally around is this is foreign to all of us because we're singing God's words. This is his thing. And church should be different from the world. This should be the place where, where I come into the, on the Lord's day and I am, I am celebrating the fact that I am not in the world. I'm here among God's people. We're ambassadors for Christ. And so the church is to be an embassy and it looks different than the world. And so at at the end of the day, whether you sing hymns, psalms or spiritual songs that they need to be songs that make God really big and you really small and Christ enough. To quote the ancient theologian, Trip Lee, nothing but the blood of Jesus, homie, that's my fight song. I think it's a good way to stop. Well, hey, folks, thanks for listening to Assurance of Pardon. Uh, we have been encouraged. We just hit a 1,000 downloads as as we're recording this on March 20th. We just hit a 1,000 downloads. And so thank you so much for your support, for your feedback. Thanks for listening. Uh, please like, subscribe, comment. If you have questions, uh, topics you'd like us to address, please let us know. And uh, until next time, see you.